Well, how might you describe David's cries here in this psalm? What descriptor might you give to these cries as he pleads to God? As I was uh, thinking about this psalm, thinking about the main thrust or theme or even um, uh, maybe describing this psalm and David's cries in this psalm, um, I was uh, wrestling through this and as I read some commentaries, there were at least three of the commentators, actually more than that, described this cry that David has as a pathetic cry. And when I first read that, when I thought about that initially, I was, I was honestly a bit, a bit taken aback. I was uh, thinking, I don't know if I'd go that far. Usually uh, today in day-to-day language, we use pathetic as a negative or even, even as an insult. And I thought initially, I think that's taking it too far. But as I studied this psalm more, and as, as really, as you look at the, the words that David is, is crying out to the Lord, the things that he is saying, as well as the situation that David was in. He's running for his life from Saul. He's surrounded by a bunch of people that, as we read in, in 1 Samuel 22, are described as, as in distress and debt, bitter in soul. And then you go through this psalm and you see David saying things like, I cry, I plead. I pour out my complaints. I tell my trouble. My spirit faints. No one notices me. No one cares. I am brought very low. They are too strong for me. And I thought more and more that, yes, this is absolutely a pathetic cry. And really, for you and I, most of our cries to God, or many of our cries to God, are pathetic cries. We're probably not going to ever experience anything like David where we are a fugitive, where we're on the run for our lives for an extended period of time, even though our brothers and sisters in other countries many times do. But we feel these things. We feel the distress. We feel the trouble. We, we experience relationships that are struggling. We experience those around us who don't care for us even who maybe persecute us to some extent. And we feel our own need and our own weakness at times so deeply. And even if you're not in a situation like that right now, perhaps by God's grace you've never experienced such deep distress. I'm confident that there are people here in, your, in the pews, people around you who are dealing with this even right now, who are dealing with, with struggle, with distress, with turmoil, perhaps with loneliness. So minister to them. Use God's Word. Use Psalm 142 or the many other words that He has given us in His Word to encourage them through and with God's Word. And if you're still not quite comfortable with with pathetic, I'll point out that actually the first dictionary definition of pathetic is this, arousing pity especially through vulnerability or sadness, as in, she looked so pathetic that I bent down to comfort her. You and I, we do have pathetic cries, and we are to give our pathetic cries to God, our Father. We are to give our cries, our complaints, and our concerns to Him. And we see in the psalm how David does that. How David goes to God, his God, in trouble. How he appeals to God when no earthly person cares for him. How David 
in his, in his weakness, he cries to God, recognizing that God is his refuge and how he praises God, being confident that God hears and answers him. And I really do believe that we as a church are a pathetic group in many regards. And to an extent, we are like David and his, his, those men who surrounded him. We are in distress. We are in debt. We are bitter in soul. You and I are weak and needy. We experience distress. We experience loneliness. And when you feel this way, cry out to your God. We have, especially at times, a pathetic cry. Perhaps like a, like a sick infant who is desperately crying but has cried so much that their voice is gone and almost nothing even comes out of their mouth. And for you who are parents here, or even you who have nieces or nephews, or have best friend who has, has a young child, imagine if, if you heard your child or, or your friend's child, weak and sick, making a pathetic, raspy cry, crying out for their help in their own weakness, but they could barely make a sound. And what would your response be to this child, this infant? I suspect, I'm, I'm confident that your heart would break for that child and that you would do anything that you could to comfort that child. You would do exactly the opposite of turning away and ignoring him or her. You would seek to comfort him or her really because of their pathetic cry. And similarly to what Jesus said about earthly parents giving good things to their children, I might say, if you then, being evil, desire to comfort and care for your child after hearing their pathetic cry, how much more will your Father in heaven comfort and care for you after hearing your pathetic cry? Like Psalm 103, verse 13, which I already points out, pointed out, and we already sang, as a father shows compassion to his children... So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So then when you are distressed, lift your pathetic cries to God, your refuge. When you are distressed, lift your pathetic cries to God, your refuge. And we see this first in this psalm in verses 1 or 2, that, that when you are troubled, pour out your concerns to your God, as David does. Let me read verses 1 and 2 again. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaints before Him. I tell my trouble before Him. David here cries out, even out loud. He says, with my voice, I plead to the Lord. This, and this word translated cry in the, the beginning of verse 1, za'ak, can be used to express even to, to shriek from anguish or danger, or, or it can be as a herald to announce or to make a cry or to cry out loud. David cries even out loud to his father. And David calls his pleas, his cries, both trouble and complaints. We are to bring our concerns and our troubles and our agonies to God, but we can also bring our complaints to him. He is the only one who can do something about those complaints and troubles. And he's the only one who can truly grant us mercy. And we see from later in the psalm that David is very specific. He's quite specific, and he probably was even more specific than we see in the psalm. As he, as he cried out to God, he cries out specifically, 
He, he expresses his concern about his enemies pursuing him, that they are laying traps for him. He talks about how, how he has no refuge. No person or thing is his refuge on earth. And he admits his own weakness and the strength of his enemies and that he is brought very low, even feeling abandoned, feeling weak and needy. And let me encourage you that you also are to be specific as you cry out to your God. He already knows the specifics, but he wants to hear them from you and still tell him. And even if you're too weary, too burdened perhaps, to specify the needs that you are dealing with, still cry out to him. I have a a friend, a friend of my wife and I's, who experienced many years of intense back pain as, as a young person. She had multiple back surgeries to relieve, these, to relieve this pain, and the, the first two surgeries failed and made things worse than they were before. And then she had to be on powerful opioids for a long time, many months. And after these surgeries and after weaning off these, or while weaning off these opioids, she was experiencing severe withdrawal symptoms. And she talked to me and my wife about how one night... It was so intense that she couldn't lie on her bed. She just had to get down on the floor. And she, she wanted to pray, but she felt like she couldn't. She wanted to cry, but she couldn't even cry. And she just said, God, I don't know what, how to pray right now. Would you please pray for me? And you, you can do the same. Do pray specifically when you can, but even when you don't know how to pray, cry out to God. God who helps us in our weaknesses. And when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us. I'll also say that that you must cry out to your God. So is he your God? I trust that for at least most of you here, he is. And if he is, cry out to him as your God. And if he is not, turn to him. I would also encourage you that, that you can even use distress and stress and struggle, perhaps anxiety, as a, a bit of a, a marker to point your eyes heavenward, to point you to God. But if you're struggling with stress, if you're struggling with even loneliness, if you're struggling with just feeling overwhelmed, use those feelings as markers that say, I need to go right now to God, my Father. When you begin to feel those things, immediately turn to Him. Cry out to Him and express your feelings, your concerns, even your complaints to Him. Well, one reason which David cries out to God is because he feels alone. As I've already mentioned, he he feels that there is no one who cares for him. And so, when you are alone, plea to the Lord who knows and cares. When you are alone, plea to the Lord who knows and cares. We see this especially, I think, in verse, verses 3 and 4. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains for me. No one cares for my soul. So David in this cave wasn't actually alone. But the people that, that were gathered around with him were not the greatest. Besides his brothers... Those who came were were likely not even people that he knew before he started fleeing from Saul. And we already read 1 Samuel 22. Those who gather around him, again, are 
everyone who is in distress, everyone who is in debt, and everyone who is in bitter and soul gathered to him. So at this point, as David is, is writing and praying this psalm to God, he is a criminal in his own country. He has a bounty on his head. He has no legal recourse on his side because the king is against him. And then it seems like this ragtag bunch of other criminals and malcontents gather around him in his sorrow. And David feels that he has no person, not even a place of refuge. Even later, which we didn't read, but in in 1 Samuel 24, is another occasion where David is hiding in a cave from Saul. And even when he's hiding from Saul in this cave, who is it that stops at the entrance of the cave but Saul himself with 3,000 of his men with him? And I, I, I suspect I, I, he must, David must have felt some initial panic when he realized this and must have had the sense that not even this cave that I'm hiding in is giving me refuge from the person who wants to kill me. Even that cave was not giving him true refuge from his enemies. He must have felt, at least temporarily, at least initially, that this, this cave was no, again, no place of refuge. And even the people that had gathered around him, the 300 that had gathered with him who had not completely abandoned him, they were not a refuge for him either. I think it's also worth pointing out that David was also experienced loneliness and being alone morally. Even for the guys on his team, those men who were gathered around him, they wanted him to do the wrong thing. Particularly when Saul came into the entrance of the cave, they told him to kill Saul. And David refused to kill the Lord's anointed. And think about Christ himself, how he must have felt completely, in a way, completely morally alone as he lived and walked among sin and sinners. I also uh, am confident that these past couple of years, I've seen that these past couple of years have, have both further revealed and even compounded loneliness that people have experienced People have been isolated from one another. Some people are still isolating from others. And for a time during COVID, many did not even gather for important family events like weddings or funerals. For a time, many were not even able to gather together for the corporate worship of God. And I was, I was reading a, a survey a while back about some who have permanently changed their lifestyles because of COVID. Some people, a small percentage, but I think it was something like 10 to 20% of people who talked about never shaking hands with anyone again. And then another about the same percentage that talked about never hugging other people again. And there were even some, a few, I think it was like 5% in the survey, who talked about how they were planning on never having face-to-face interactions with people again after COVID. And if we're talking about loneliness Certainly how much our society, how much these things that we carry around in our pockets have isolated ourselves from others. These, these smartphones, I think, have also compounded loneliness. And I think perhaps we see that as most of all in the younger generation who's grown up with, these, with this. Well, perhaps you have felt like David here in verse 4, that no one cares for you, no one takes notice of you, that there is no safe place of refuge for you. I suspect you have felt this at times. 
lonely, isolated, even abandoned. Paul felt this way as well. He says in 2 Timothy 4:16, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Well, if you have felt this, God is with you. He knows your situation. He knows your path, and He guides you on it. He is your safety, your stronghold, your refuge in times of trouble. Cry out to Him when your spirit faints, when you are tired and weary and lonely. He who is all-powerful will, will guide you and uphold you and help you like He cared for David in this psalm and, and as we see afterward in David's life how God cared for him and upheld him and also like He cared for Paul. The next couple of verses after Second uh, Timothy 4.16, Paul says this, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from, e- from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heaven- heavenly kingdom. So also, not only when you are lonely, when you are experiencing loneliness, when you feel that no one cares, when you are feeling weak, feeling your weakness, cry out to God, your refuge and your deliverer. When you are weak, cry out to God, your refuge and your deliverer. Let me read again verses 5 through the beginning of verse 7. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. David again cries out to his God. He recognizes him as his Lord, as his refuge, as his portion. And he cries as, as he is brought low. This, this word at the beginning of verse 6, I am brought very low. The, the root word that is translated brought low is dalal in Hebrew. And it has the, the meaning of being or to become, to be or to become small, tiny. And David felt this, that he was small and weak and needy. He recognized his, his smallness and he really genuinely feels this. If you, if you read in 1 Samuel, as, as David continues to run from Saul, he actually refers to himself twice as a flea. After cutting off the corner of Saul's robe, when David then goes after Saul, and he goes after him and he, he bows to the ground, he puts his face on the ground, and he calls to Saul and he says, among other things, after whom does the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea, David recognizes that he is small, that he is weak, and that he needs God to deliver him from his pursuers who are stronger than him. And you also cry out to God in your weakness when you know there is nothing you can do about the situation that you are in. Cry out to him who can. About three years ago, I really felt my weakness and my inability to do anything about the situation when my youngest sister, Tamara, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. 
And I remember that we knew that she was getting this MRI and that she uh, was getting the phone call that night and, and wasn't sure if it was going to be good or bad news, but picked up and answered the phone. It was in the kitchen. Um, Ellen and I, my wife, was with me. And she said, I found a massive tumor in my head and they're going to be uh, operating on it in two days. And I just remember just feeling that, that weakness and I, I literally dropped to the floor slid down onto the floor and I just knew there was nothing that I could do about it. And I'm thankful that we ended that phone call by crying out to God, praying to Him, the one who can do something and did do something about that. But even Jesus, Jesus, the creator and the ruler of the universe, He cried out to God, His Father, in His weakness, in His distress, when he was in agony in Gethsemane, as we read earlier from Matthew, he said, My soul is very sorrowful even unto death. And he asked his disciples to watch and pray with him. But as I'm sure you remember, as, as you know, they, they were tired and they fell asleep in a way abandoning him. And Jesus, as we read again in Matthew 26, he fell on his face and he cried out to his father three times, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And he was praying earnestly. He was in agony. His sweat is described in Luke as being like drops of blood. But even then, he prayed for his Father's will, as we also must. He said, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And God the Father, in his perfect plan, did not deliver Jesus from this his death on the cross, this cup, but rather he sent him, he sent Jesus, his own, his only begotten Son, to die there in your and my place, to take our sins upon himself as a perfect sacrifice, to be abandoned by his Father for a time, only experiencing his Father's wrath, the wrath that you and I all deserved, and taking that upon himself as he became sin for us, that we might be declared righteous. So in Christ not being delivered from this agony, we were delivered from the eternal agony and suffering and hell that our sins deserved. And we were given a place in heaven with God and in the new heavens and the new earth one day when Christ returns. But Jesus reminded even his disciples that we will suffer with him to some extent. We will experience suffering in this, work, in this world. And he's told us to expect it. So when you do, turn to him, the one who truly understands your suffering and cares for you. And as we await that day, as we wait for heaven, for Christ's return, as we experience the genuine struggles and suffering and pain and sorrow and loneliness of this world, God is with us. God is with you. And not only that, but God has given you the church. So we come to uh, the, the fourth point. Praise your good God who will surround you with his people. Praise your good God who will surround you with his people. The end of this psalm, the last half of verse 7 the righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. David is confident in God his Father. He knows that he is good. 
that he will deal bountifully with him. And he trusts God that he will eventually raise him up even as king over Israel, as God told Samuel who anointed David as king. And David also trusts God that eventually he would be surrounded by the righteous and he would even be able to tell them about the great way in which he was delivered by God. And even this group of men surrounding him, this group of distressed, indebted, and bitter men surrounding David in the cave, they became David's mighty men. This is a complicated group, and many of, many of David's mighty men we don't know anything about. But we do know, we do see, that they were fiercely loyal to him. And we see that God used them to help David win many victories in battle, and eventually God used them to help bring David to rule as anointed king over Israel after Saul. And we can even see in that all the tribes of Israel, God's chosen people, eventually gather around David. In 2 Samuel 5, they make him their king. And shortly after that, they, they join David and rejoice with him as he brought the ark of God into Jerusalem. God did raise up David as king over all Israel. He did surround him with the righteous. He surrounded him with his people. And David not only told Israel about God's great deliverance of him, but he gave us, he gave Israel and he gave us the Psalms to sing and praise to God about his care, about his deliverance, about his power. God answered David fully and completely. And God answers us. Going back to the story I was sharing earlier about my friend and how she, she cried out to God to pray for her when she didn't know what to pray. Well, she said that at that moment, as she dealt with the distress and the pain that she was, that she was dealing, the withdrawal symptoms from these opiates that she'd had to take for months and months, when she, after she cried out to God and asked him to pray for her, she said that the verse, I will never leave you nor forsake you, just kept going through her mind over and over and over again. And she said that God gave her an intense, overwhelming feeling of his own presence with her. And he gave her a sense of joy and peace that she said was the greatest that she had ever experienced. She said that at this time when she was at the point of her greatest need and weakness was when she experienced the most amazing thing that she'd ever experienced in her life with regard to God's presence and the peace that he gave her. She even said that it was something that made her look forward to heaven. And something, again, that for you to keep in mind is that God may, again, use, another, use you to help another person in the church, or perhaps even someone who's not yet in the church, to help them in their weakness, to be with them and to pray with them and for them when they are crying or even so weak that they can barely cry or even can't cry. But ultimately, even though, yes, we do have the church and we are to be with one another, we are to pray and to care for one another, to even rejoice and weep with one another, it is God, ultimately, who helps us, who is with us. And when we give our own pathetic cries to the Lord, He is the one who hears us, who helps us, and who cares for us. Like He cared for His Son, in raising him up from the dead after his suffering and giving him the name that is above every name. 
And I want to, as we come to a conclusion, look even a little bit more at Christ in this psalm. We've already looked at that to an extent. But I was reading in my studies from Andrew Bonar's Christ and His Church in the book of Psalms, which I honestly can't recommend highly enough. And Bonar brings out many of these points as he emphasizes Christ in Psalm 142. And particularly Jesus, His suffering in Gethsemane before the cross. Bonar says, let us see how beautifully it utters, this psalm utters our master's heart as a prayer. And he points out actually another commentator who even entitles the psalm a prayer of the Messiah when he was taken and deserted. And and I want to go briefly through some of the phrases in this psalm. First, verse 1, with my voice I cry out to the Lord and plead for mercy. This is like Jesus in Gethsemane, when he cried out, Abba, Father. And then verse 2, I pour out my complaints, like Jesus, again, as he cried out to his Father, remove this cup. Verse 3, when my spirit is overwhelmed or faints, that is like Jesus, who, as we see in Mark 14, he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. We also read that in Matthew. Verse 4, Look, no one takes notice of me. And consider, what do those around Jesus do? First, his disciples sleep when he asked them just to stay up and pray for him, even for one hour, and they couldn't. And they slept, again, in a sense, abandoning him. while he sweated blood. And then later, one that he called friends, came to betray him. And after that, Jesus' disciples, as we read in the end, at Matthew 26, that his disciples left him and fled. Again, abandoning him. Truly, physically abandoning him. Verse 6 in the psalm again. I am brought very low. Jesus, at that point, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, was brought so low that he had to be ministered to by an angel, even though he is so much greater than the angels. Luke 22 says, And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And then we see in verse 7, as as Bonar notes, that the scene begins to brighten. His disciples may sleep on and take their rest, for he has accomplished his sufferings. Jesus' sufferings a short time later were completed. His sufferings for his people were over. He had experienced his greatest sufferings, his weakest point, the pinnacle of his humiliation, even though it did end. His abandonment ended. And there's even a sense that it didn't really matter what his disciples did, because he did what he was, came to do. He, he was faithful in what he came to do. He experienced his humiliation and experiences his exaltation, his victory. And I also want to point out this, the beginning of verse 7. Bring me out of prison. This, this word uh, in Hebrew, masker, it's, it's a noun that, that means imprisonment. And it's actually only used in this noun form here in this place in the, in the book of Psalms. 
But we can see from other passages that this is not just talking about a physical or some kind of imprisonment that you were experiencing physically or feeling. This is actually speaking about death. It's being imprisoned in death, the netherworld. Like in Isaiah 24, uses the same word when it talks about the host of heaven and the kings of earth will be gathered together in the pit and shut up in a prison, again, masquer, to await the final judgments in the realm of the dead. Jesus Christ himself experienced this for a time. He experienced death. He, he was, was experiencing being under its power for a time. But then what happened? He was brought out of prison. He defeated death in his resurrection. And death holds no power over him and also no power over his people anymore. Well, Bonar, in his own title of this psalm, he entitles it this way. He calls it the cave thoughts of David and of David's son for all in extremity or in turmoil. Now going back from David's greater son to David himself, God, his father, cared for David when David gave his pathetic cry to the Lord, his refuge when he was in distress. And I'll even point out the psalm that we'll be singing in a moment. This is a psalm of thanksgiving to God, specifically that David is singing after his deliverance, after God had delivered him. He praises God and he goes on to recount how God saved him, how God delivered him from his enemies. And David praises his God's name and gives him glory. Well, I hope that not only seeing David's cry and his trust in God, but many others who have cried out to God, and God always answers the cries of his children. I hope that this is encouraging to you. And I hope that not only do you feel that you can do this, that you can cry out to God, but that you do it, that you do actually cry out to him. And as you cry out to him, remember that one of the benefits of being adopted into God's family, according to our own confession of faith, is that God pities you like a father pities his child. Our father has compassion on his children. So knowing that you can trust God, your refuge, that you can cry to him and that he hears you and answers you, then when you are experiencing trouble, pour out your concerns to God. When you are alone, plea to him who knows and cares. When you are weak, cry out to him, your refuge and your deliverer, and praise your good God who will surround you, who does surround you with his people. So when you are distressed, lift your pathetic cries to God, your refuge. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we can come to you as your children, adopted into your family. That we, Lord, not are only brothers and sisters to each other, but, Lord, we have Jesus Christ as, as our greater brother, and we have you as our Heavenly Father. We thank you that we can cry out to you and that you hear and answer our cries. That you help us, that you are with us even in the times when we are dealing with deep distress. 
We thank you, Lord, for the, the promises that you have given us in your word. We thank you even, Lord, that you see fit to use our prayers, to use our cries in accomplishing your will, your purposes. That is an amazing thing. And Lord, we pray that, that we would not only come to you in our need, but that we would gather around others in the church in their need, and that we would, through your word, point them to you, point them to you, their Father. Lord, help us, Lord, to care for others around us and help us, again, to always be ready to cry out to you. Help us, Lord, also to glorify you as we go through each day of our life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.